Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flu Pod. This is season two, episode eight. You're in story time. So this one time at orchestra camp, the orchestra camp we're talking about is the Brevard Music Center in Brevard, North Carolina. You see, Brevard is part of my past, my present, and my future. So in the pod with me is my flutist colleague from Brevard, Dilshad Bilimoria Poznak. Dilshad was born in Mumbai, India, and she had quite a journey to get here to the United States. I'm so excited to feature her in the podcast today. You might recognize Dilshad's name from the cover of your Orchestral Duos book, published by Presser and edited by Jean Backstresser. We share a teacher in Ms. Backstresser. With me in the podcast, producers Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. Thanks for being in Porterflute Pod. We're so glad you are in story time. Welcome to Story Time, Dilshad. Thanks, Amy. I'm so happy to talk to you today. And the reason why we have story time, at least in my opinion, is to make people feel better, to make them think about something else other than their hardship for at least three minutes, five minutes, whatever. Absolutely. We could all use that right now. Well, we know that our minds can wander. We can get distracted. But somehow, as it's put, the surprise box every day is opened. And so we have to literally go over somewhere and deal with all the surprise box stuff, whether it be weather or racism or uh, politically motivated or whatever it is. There's just some amazing surprise every day. So I create That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I created this podcast so that we all could just tell stories, talk about what we should be doing, which is practicing and working towards something, moving forward because life moves forward, right? And we don't we shouldn't sit there yeah. and rest because when things do change and shift, one would hope that we would be ready for it. Yeah. As a musician. Yeah, I think this also gives us time to think about things that we are often too busy to think about, right? Lesson to lesson, concert to concert. But the space that this has created, I'm actually quite grateful for. Think about, you know, our place in the world in general, our places and our roles as musicians in general. So I've enjoyed that mental space as well, even though it can get busy sometimes with everything going on. Oh, yes, it can. Sometimes even busier than driving in traffic to get to somewhere to put yourself where you were supposed to be. The daily mundane things are now gone. And sometimes yeah. you're moving from critical situation to critical situation to eating. 
Eating is important. <laughs> eating is very important. Everything is just desperate right now. Yes. Yes, but like I said, on the flip side, for those of us who are fortunate enough to not feel desperation at that very core level, I'm taking the time to just enjoy the space and do some deep thinking and enjoy my family and try to see little ray of gratitude as constant, hopefully, in me every day. Grew up, of course, in Mumbai, India, and started my musical studies on the piano. So I played piano for years. And then I had an older brother and as a younger sister always wanted to do whatever my older brother did. And at some point he started playing violin and joined the local orchestra. Piano doesn't really go in an orchestra. So, and the local orchestra there, you have to understand there are not really teachers for woodwind instruments. Really the traditions of studying classical music back in India are centered very strongly around piano and strings. Certainly violin and you know cello and viola to some extent. So I had to do something a little bit different. They said, oh, we need more people playing wind instruments to join the orchestra. This was the Bombay Chamber Orchestra all that time ago. So when I was about 11, I decided I wanted to start to study the flute, but there were really not any professional flute teachers back home. So we had the conductor of my orchestra back home who was wonderful and certainly the biggest musical influence I had at that time outside my family. And she said, we're going to figure this out together. So I bought Trevor Y books. I started listening to recordings, you know, wherever I could find them and just really started figuring it out on my own with this wonderful conductor of the Bombay Chamber Orchestra. And, and then I would have every so often people come in from England from the Royal College of Music. They would come and help the orchestra play in the section and do training for maybe two, three weeks at a time, a couple of times a year. So that was my only access really to any semblance of professional training. And I'm so grateful for that because every time that happened, I just kind of you know, took it all in with almost the sense of so much gratitude and desperation for really instrument specific training. My family was great, you know, they were all musicians, so were very supportive, but I certainly didn't know any other flute players at the time. So, so that was great. And uh, one of the conductors coming from the Royal College of Music actually helped me get set up to come and make a visit to London and play for who would be my teacher for my undergrad, wonderful Christopher Hyde Smith at the Royal College. And to this day, I'm actually just so, stunned and grateful that he took on someone who had never had an extensive period of professional training at all at 18 and said, let's do it together. And he was wonderful. And that just really started me certainly on the serious path to getting to know about, you know, people in the States, hearing your name, obviously Jeannie's name at some point. And then, you know, sometimes feels like a bit of a fairy tale that I ended up with her. I started at the Royal College in 1992. So I was there, did my undergrad, did a year of um, a teaching diploma and orchestral diploma the year after. So I was there for five years. Let's talk about that lovely name, Jeannie, that we talk about. Uh, we call her Jeannie, but we're talking about Miss Jean Backstresser. She was in the New York Philharmonic. And in 1987, I was her first graduate student, her first master's student. 
oh, that's great. I was in her first master's class at Carnegie Mellon when she came to Pittsburgh. I didn't know we had that in common. Yes. And she promptly made me play non-vibrato for two weeks. I've never known someone to make me so angry. I went the opposite. Apparently I came from England with not enough control over my vibrato. So all we did for months was actually work on my vibrato. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Without that crawl through the desert known as vibrato study or without that crawl through the desert known as intonation, you know, without those deep, dark dives, we won't ever know, you know, what our issue was. So I, I appreciated her saying, okay, let's create the blank canvas and then work up from there because you have everything. You just don't know what you're doing. That's very much Miss Backstresser's way of teaching. Dear, you didn't vibrate on the 10th note of that 17 note passage. (laughs) You know, you talked about playing without vibrato for so long. I often talk to my students about it, like makeup and jewelry, which I know you love as well, Amy. But I say, well, if you don't know what your skin looks like before you put your makeup on, you're never going to be able to do it right. So to find that sound without any vibrato for me is like washing your face and looking at it and thinking, okay, this is what I want to do to make myself look however I'd like to present myself to the world. Jeannie certainly opened my eyes to orchestral repertoire in a way that was taught differently when I was back in England. So in England, really, you know, we studied orchestral repertoire in a more macro sense in terms of, you know, studying Brahms symphonies one year and Beethoven symphonies another year, all very important and something she paid a lot of attention to as well. But just her knowledge from so many years of sitting in that amazing principal chair of the New York Philharmonic, you know, for me was just an eye opener to listen to her speak of how you played so that it would be heard in the hall, how you play differently when you, you know, how you might sound differently when you're closer up than you might sound out in the hall. I remember she would take us into the concert hall and make us play Mendelssohn Scherzo and tell us how it sounded out there and how much shorter we actually had to play if we were in a hall with any reverberation to make sure that it actually sounded like you would expect it was sounding out there even though you had no idea standing on that stage. But she really made me truly understand what it was like to play flute in the context of the orchestra, not just study the music, but really understand what that was like. And then of course, at the end of my two years of studying with her, I also started working on her second flute orchestral excerpt book. And for me, that was just absolutely the greatest gift ever. So Jeannie Backstresser's second excerpt book, your name is right there. Those second flute parts, which, you know, she, again, I learned so much about the importance of sitting in that chair. So it's not just about sitting in the principal chair. It doesn't matter where in the section you are. And to hear her talk about her years with Renee and to then get all the feedback from Renee, because her words are in that book as well, and understand the relationship that the two of them had was fantastic. So I have this one really good story from working on the second flute excerpt book with Jeannie. So we would submit our versions to Danny Dorf, wonderful editor over at Presser Publications. And Danny would send it back and we would send corrections back and forth. And this was at the very, very late stages of the book almost going to print 
when we got back a version and realized that there were two principal flute parts for Brahms one instead of a flute one and a flute two part. So once we realized this with horror that somehow in replacing things, this has happened, we actually sat down and started and ended every single excerpt in that book. So here I am at Jeannie's house, probably close to midnight and both of us pull our flutes out and I get to start and end every excerpt in the second flute excerpt book with Jeannie Backstresser. If that is not a gift of all gifts, I don't know what is, but my learning through that whole process and that night in particular, I will absolutely never forget. It was a great lesson, an easy lesson, a gifted lesson. Amazing. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think for me, beyond anything flute that Jeannie ever taught me, I think she was always such a consummate, wonderful professional and teacher. And I try to take those lessons with me anytime I'm with flute in hand and even when I'm not with flute in hand. She's a great inspiration. Yes. So my story was, I had played the flute for four or five years. Uh, at that point, it was, let's say, 1978. Personal computer wasn't even around. And so I thought, you know, I wonder if I'm any good. And so my teacher sent me to a place called the Brevard Music Center in 1979. And so I was there for two summers. And I was always wondering in that macro kind of way, I wonder if I'm any good in the world. Now, what does that mean in 1979 when there's no internet, there's no personal computer, there's no gauging mechanism for Amy Porter, little kid, 15 years old to go, I wonder if I'm any good. People tell me if I'm good, but do I feel like, I was wondering if I had imposter syndrome and I determined, Dilshad, that if someone in India knew your name, that you would then be famous. Because at that time, India had the most people in the world. So I just determined that that was how I was going to de decide that, yes, if someone in India knew my name, then I was going to be famous. So when I met you, right, <laughs> you said, well, I've known you since I was younger, right, in India. And my face just dropped because of my, I don't know, you validated my 15-year-old flute self. Oh. <laughs> it was amazing. Can you tell your end of the story? I remember often my first lesson with you, Amy, at the Juilliard School. Oh, I, I remember coming in and, you know, of course, certainly knowing who you were and having a little bit of certainly my, my nerves playing in. But I just also remember making such a great connection with you straight away and you not being afraid to just dig in and talk about some sound things and were just very encouraging and so much energy. I love the energy in that lesson, Amy, and I see that energy that you share with your students all the time. I am now hearing more and more of actually what I said in these 20 minute lessons that I taught in the year 2000. Uh, it was quite a prolific experience for me as a young teacher, I have to say, to stand on the stage uh, next to my teacher and just take a bow. She didn't really hear me teach. She just put me in a room for 20 minutes with a lot of people for many days. So I, I was one of those people. I do remember meeting you. I remember meeting our producer of Porter Flute Pod, Alan J. Tomasetti. He was 16. And I do remember meeting Anadina Schick. 
yeah. Corda Lahaka, so many amazing people that weren't from the United States. So what a what a great memory. Thank you for going down memory lane. We ended up having the chance to be just thrown together by your husband of all people. Uh, I have to talk about how we came together again. I was doing a concert in Vancouver and I got a message from Jason Posnock from Brevard Music Center and would I call him back? And so I did. But what I loved was that he wasn't available because he had to go to his daughter's soccer game. And I thought if there's any reason, any reason not to pick up my call, I love that. Like do it, do your <laughs> go dad, go. So, cause I had a flute dad, like he came to youth orchestra. He was on the board, like, you know, do the dad thing. So he's doing the dad thing. Finally, he gets a hold of me and I'm walking through a parking lot and I decide to just pull over to the side of my walk and look up at the sky as he's offering me the job, the perf- amazing appointment at, at principal flute of the Brevard Music Center. And I immediately had imposter syndrome, but I also immediately had a, a, a really big confessional moment. And, and I had to say, uh, Jason, I'm an alum. And he said, I understand that. I said, well, there were some things um, I might look back on and regret. One of them is sneaking out of a concert and I was 15 and I went along with all these people to toilet paper the other half of the bunker cabin, the other girl's cabin. Because we were all, I don't know, we were in some disagreement or we were in some kind of, I don't know what. But I decided I was going to get it. I snuck out, right? Crouch down. You take that side road out and you run up to the girl's hill and you grab all the extra toilet paper from the loo of the Wittingerful Auditorium. And I love that you said loo, by the way. I just have to interrupt you. I love that you said loo. Yeah. So we go up to the cabin, toilet paper, the cabin, and you get back in time for the end of the concert, pretty much, without your RA knowing. So I said this to him, and he, there was silence, and I'm looking up at the clouds, and he said two words, you're hired. <laughs> because in his mind, that's the spirit of Brevard, not the fact that I was doing something bad but that that's what the pranks the family things like we we don't take everything too seriously except it's super it's super respectful at Brevard and that it's such a family that I was welcomed back into this um family where I really didn't know anybody I just knew the grounds I knew the cabins I was begging my flute students to take me to the girls cabin and they'd say professor porter I'm not allowed And so I think I got as far as uh, they went up the hill and they stopped and I was able to just look around and then they backed down. (laughs) I think it was Allie. Allie Denver did this for me and Allie came to to Michigan after that summer. (laughs) So that's my story of being hired at the Brevard Music Center. Um, I asked if you had anything to do with it. I don't think you did except just to say, yay, this is great. I asked around, hey, did, did anybody have anything to do? So that imposter syndrome, I want people to know that when you let go and for better or for worse, just give up your art to the universe and keep going, you know, life circles back and rewards you with this position you didn't even audition for. Absolutely. Well, I, I remember seeing you drive up 
the day you arrived back at Brevard. I remember that so clearly. I was waiting in the parking lot outside Broyhill. It was raining. Yes, and you drove up in your little black Volvo. And I was like, I can't wait to see Amy again. It's been, you know, 20 years or something. Well, Dillshot, I was greeted by ducks. Well, of course you were greeted by ducks. The white duck. And the ma- and the green mallard, and they were walking and and kind of rant, rant, rant at me as I was driving down the drive. We followed my car, and I had to roll down the window and say, "Okay, I'm back. It's been a long time, but I'm back." At Brevard, I can't see that things wouldn't still have that familial feel getting to work and and then at the same time enjoying nature getting outside and and staying safe at the same time i think we can do this i think we can do it i think so too and like i said i i love the the word plot twist and we'll go with however it looks and perhaps it will look a little bit different this year than it usually does in fact i'm certain it will look different this year but also there's definitely light at the end of this and there are many more Brevard seasons to come and lots of wonderful more years to welcome our students in the ways that we are used to doing it. And having those larger gatherings, you know, whether it's in the cafeteria eating breakfast, lunch and dinner together or whether it's before and after concerts, but just to have everyone together will feel so special. It definitely will. People should know that everyone eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner together if they want. The families are there. It's it's very much um, an, an open human space. I think that's the special thing about Brevard is that it's really all about the people who are there every summer. The music is so important and the learning is so important, but really the most important thing is supporting young musicians as they find their own journeys and they've make their own paths through their music. Like me. Exactly, like you. Absolutely. But I don't feel like it has a narrow focus. I feel like it really is a broad focus on making music together, being inspired by each other, and really supporting the students. I have one of the most memorable moments emblazoned in my mind from Brevard Music Center, probably the third row, In 1979, Bernadette Peters singing Mm -hmm. a little night music, Sondheim. Yeah. Her forte. Wow. Right? You don't forget that. And that is the beauty of Brevard is not just focusing on your instrument, but getting to watch and listen to so many other amazing performers of all instruments and voices. And so I love that memory of yours because that was obviously not a flutist. And I would hope that our flutists come and go every year, certainly inspired by the flute playing, but also just by the music making that happens on that stage. And we have a concerto competition and the teachers at the time, uh, Eric Hoover that year, allowed me to enter the concerto competition with the Chaminade Concertino. I had no business doing it. I was 15. And I didn't get anywhere and it was great. It, it, it got me on the road to, you know, a lot of no's as we say. So I love Brevard for giving me first times like Kodai Harianos mm. with the dulcimer. That was amazing. 
And I'm just a kid sitting in all that sound. It was a wash of sound, Dillshot. It was amazing. So just being able to, at that time, being 15 and sitting next to, you know, in, in with these amazing college kids were, it was pretty something. I think it was a blended experience at the time. I think Janiac ran the camp at that point. That sounds right. Definitely. And, you know, you talk about the wash of sound. I think the fact that our main auditorium is open air and you're out there in nature is just, you know, it just adds to that whole experience. I, I remember a performance of Beethoven 9 we did a couple years before you were there. And right at the moment when the chorus comes in, there was this huge clap of thunder because, of course, it's an August afternoon in Brevard. And that means that there's going to be thunder and rain. Wow, yes. So really, literally right at that moment. And for me, that was just the most magical thing I've ever experienced there. And you would never know it if you were in a closed auditorium. But this was, you know, pouring rain after that as the chorus sang. And it was just something quite astounding and very, very special. So you drive into Brevard and there's lakes in one entrance and, and you pass these beautiful ponds. And uh, when I was there, Charlie Vernon, he would practice from his cabin and have trombone choir every Sunday night. And it still happens, the trombone choir. Yeah. And as I keep saying, we eat together. We also have a new hall. And it looks so beautiful. And I wish that everyone had been able to come in and see it last summer when it was supposed to have its grand opening, but we do. It's Parker Concert Hall. It is absolutely gorgeous, overlooks the lake and has this, I've been lucky enough to go inside and see it now, seats complete and all. You know, for the longest time, the hall was ready, but the seating system was coming from Belgium and we weren't able to have international visitors or workers come into the country. So the seating system was put on hold because it had to be installed by a very particular company. Anyhow, the seats are now in and it looks gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. Jason's played in it. Actually, Jason, Jenny and I got to play in it for Brevard Music Center's largest fundraiser, Prelude, that they did back in August. So I think we were the first ones to actually get to play music in the hall, which was very special. But now, the seats are in and it's this amazing retractable seating system. So it's very flexible in terms of how many seats there can be, or it can just be a lovely, huge, beautiful space that overlooks the lake without any seats in it at all and just everyone on the floor level. So I think so many different permutations and combinations for this hall, but it, it looks stunning. I can't wait for you to see it. I'm excited. It's not every day you get a, a hall that's perfect for chamber music. Exactly. Congratulations, Brevard, for over 80 years of a beautiful, beautiful retreat, a campus somewhere I learned. I mean, I'm just so thankful for it to be in the fabric of my musical life. And I continue to learn from it. Just, you know, having so many wonderful colleagues, getting to spend time with you and our students. I'm always so inspired by our students. They come in with so much wonderful energy and openness to learn, which is what we're always looking for. As I looked at my 15-year-old student two summers ago and into her very nervous eyes, I said, listen, I was you. 
and her eyes relaxed a little bit. And I said, I cried all summer long. And if it weren't for the lovely girl, I have no idea what her name is, but she was a TA, a RA. God bless her. She sat me down, gave me a cutout article about self-esteem. And I, you know, I, again, the imposter syndrome wanted to set in, but Brevard Music Center, some beautiful RA uh, got me out of my hole. (laughs) So I can look at the student now as me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm sure they value hearing that so much from you, knowing that you've been where they were, right? I mean, we were all students at one time, but you were a student right there in those cabins on that stage, even if it looked a little different. And that's invaluable to them. Invaluable. Let's talk just a little bit about our studio at Brevard and what we like to do. Ice cream is one of them. Um, Only on occasion, Dilshad, only on occasion. Well, we have to have one ice cream adding to Dolly's, which is your quintessential outdoor, wonderful ice cream spot on the way into the forest. So that is that is absolutely a must. And then we go into the forest and we discover waterfalls, right? Yes, there are so many, you know, very accessible hikes in the forest right at the start of the forest. I love how the students climbed down and, and had their first experiences in a waterfall. It was great. It it was. And, you know, that's when they also get to know our families, right? I remember bringing my kids and the students were so great taking taking my daughter Lila through in and out of the shower that is the waterfall on Moore Cove. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So after the hike, we also have master classes and those master classes can be pretty detailed. Notebooks out. We go into every single measure. I actually play every single measure. Remember that time I went through what I do, Firebird, and I played a measure and then described what I did, played the next measure, described what I did. And, 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 and people are starting to go, oh, right. I, I better write this down. <laughs> so we blend the high schoolers together with the college people uh, in these master classes, And it's so healthy. It is so healthy. I think it's so important for the high schoolers to see themselves a few years into the future and understand and learn from the college students and the best of our college students are such good mentors to the high school students too. So I think they really get to model hopefully what they see or strive to model what they see in the college students. And the high school students are wonderful in themselves and come with you know so much talent and so much enthusiasm. And then I think they also see what it looks like at that later stage with the seriousness that comes from deciding to pursue it in college. And I have to say Brevard Music Center does give the student that professional foray uh, into the experience. So a day in the life of a Brevard Music Center student would be across the board, getting up at seven, going to eat, perhaps taking a run, working out. You see everybody just doing their thing, the yoga on the dock, or it's just such a beautiful self-awareness place in the morning. And then we have breakfast together. Then you hear people warming up and then there's your ensembles in the morning and um, classes. There's some sometimes theory classes and ear training and you have uh, private lessons and you have the master classes. Sometimes, sometimes you have chamber music. 
that you have orchestra rehearsals. Um, you have to practice for all that. You have to go to the library and get the right part. You have to make sure that you remember your part. You have to practice your part and you only have four days or not even that, right? So that is Brevard. It's just a stunning, stunning, uh, you know, experience for a young person. And I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I know my life is kind of the same. I get up, I do my self-care, I go to breakfast, I say hi to you guys, and then I come back and warm up, and then I show up at rehearsal, and then I have practice, and I teach, right? And then I have to practice again, and or I have to do a podcast, or I, <laughs> or I have to do one of my other businesses. So it's a full life of Brevard. However, we make sure that we go to the forest, that we get our ice cream, that you and I go downtown for coffee in the morning, you know, we make sure that we schedule it in and it is possible to schedule it in at Brevard. It's not all complete hundred miles an hour, right? Absolutely. And also I think it really gives students a taste of what it's like to do music full time and keep a balance while you're doing your music full time to also take care of yourself and also have some fun and also spend some time outside. So I think it actually gives them a really good taste of what it's like to do this in the real world. Have orchestra parts coming at you from multiple places, having lesson music and chamber music to learn at the same time. So plenty to do, but I think a very good reality check actually for all our students. One last thing we should mention is we're doing something very new at Brevard this summer, and that is inviting a very popular flutist to make us look super popular. Can we just tell everybody? Yes, and cool. Greg Patillo. I've never met him, and so I am so excited. Okay, here's my funny Greg Patillo story that has really no relation to Greg except his music. My amazing student at the time, Flora Alexander, comes to my door and says, Professor Porter, I have to show you a video. This man is playing Peter and the Wolf. And she was playing Peter and the Wolf, I think. Mm -hmm. And at the time, of course, no, cell phones, we were not on data. So we had to go to the computer, the desktop, bring up the internet, and you know, it was all <laughs> slow. But I was ready to watch this person play Peter and the Wolf in a very new way. So I said, okay, what is it? She says, it's beatboxing. I said, okay. So I'm watching and he's going, and there's all this, these sounds happening. And I said, um, hey, Flora, where's the box? And she said, oh, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you said he's beatboxing. So is he kicking? Is he kicking the box and the boxes below the camera lens? She And she got this very funny look on her face and she really was the sweetest thing in the world as she looked at me and said, Professor Porter, he's doing that all with his lips. And I was like, wait, what? And so I put my nose on the screen and watched Greg Patillo do his thing. And I, I, I immediately lurched back and said how do you do that and she told me some of the syllables and that's when people started beatboxing and I determined that I was not going to beatbox is that not so silly where's the box I, 
I'm actually very impressed that she didn't just completely crack up. I know. The other thing was that at, by this time, after the Peter and the Wolf experience of seeing him online and not understanding that he wasn't hitting a box, he was then invited to the Southeast Michigan Flute Association Festival. Now, as a founder of SEMFA, I was so honored that he came to our small at the time flute club and was just kind of a fan right at this point and he didn't know my story that I was a little bit of a clueless person when it came to beatboxing so I'm standing in the back and um, then he comes over to me and gets that cute little smile on his face like he does and then squints his eyes and then puts his head down and then he gets up to me and he goes I'm a fan I was like stop it I'm a fan. And so somebody at the time grabbed their phone and took a shot at that very moment. And I'm pointing at him and he's pointing at me. And we're, our faces are like, we had just really literally just met, like maybe we had said, oh my gosh. And so, you know, oh my gosh. But I was fanning, fanning, complete fangirl. So when I was asked, who can you bring to Brevard? that does something a little different. And look, I do self-care, yoga, introspection, intention, health awareness, body awareness all day long. <laughs> we got that. What I what I don't have is beatboxing. Uh, what about you, Dilshad? Are you excited for Greg Patillo to come to Brevard? I am so excited as long as I don't have to join him in the beatboxing because I'm with you. <laughs> I made that decision a long time ago as well. That is not something I've learned how to do. Although, Amy, come on, in the spirit of having him with us, perhaps you and I should learn too. What do you think? I know myself, I'm very resistant to things that are new. I'm okay with change. It's just, you give me a new exercise and I'm like, oh, oh, I have to do it right the first time. I mean, case in point, when I was trying to take an art class once with my niece who was 14 at the time, my dear friend, Wendy Wolf says, draw a circle. So my niece and I are drawing a circle and I look over at Christine's circle and I said, well, your circle is better than mine. And she looked at me and said, Aunt Amy, just draw. <laughs> so maybe I'll have to just beatbox. Now, is, maybe, maybe you and I will have to just try. But Dilshad, isn't it gonna like go against everything we've ever prepared our lips to do? Like, don't we have to like do like, I can't well, do it. But if you think about it, we prepare our lips to be flexible and have, you know, lots of flexibility on instruments. I enjoy that flexibility when I'm playing piccolo all the time. So maybe we just have to relax and give it a try. Let's give the non-flute players a short lesson as much as we know. Something about boots and cats, right? So you go, I can't do it. And then, right? There it is. Amy, that's that's, that's more advanced than I am. Boots and cats and... That's it. (laughs) You're way ahead of the curve already. You're you're way more advanced than I am. Oh, everybody go practice your boots and cats. I'll do it. Dilshad, leave us with the story about the Queen of England, because I love that. So you realize my my mother is going to love that you asked me about the story. <laughs> oh, my mother's in heaven telling me to ask you about the story. 
So when I was a sophomore at the Royal College of Music, I was certainly one, I was certainly in the minority of students who were not actually from England or from somewhere in Europe. And every year they have a Commonwealth Day service at Westminster Abbey. To be honest, I don't know if they still do this every year. I should, I should look it up. But certainly at the time, once a year, there's a huge gathering of people often attended by the Queen of England at Westminster Abbey in London. And they have speakers and they have moments to, to share things. They have many distinguished guests there and they usually have a moment of silence and a musical performance. I was invited to play at the Commonwealth Day service at Westminster Abbey during the moment of silence. So I was told it needed to be a solo piece, fairly short. So my teacher and I decided I would play Debussy Syrinx. I remember I had to go the evening before and find out where I was supposed to be set up. I was upstairs on the balcony next to the organ loft and I would play from up there. And obviously everybody was gathered downstairs in the main part of the Abbey. I remember going the evening before and feeling so overwhelmed, but very excited that I had to do this the next day for real. And then I also remember having obviously memorized the piece because I didn't realize I was gonna be up in the loft and then thinking, oh, this is great. I can have my music on the side. I don't need to be extra nervous. I know this, this is great. And then of course the next day I go and I don't take my music because that's just what happens at these times, <laughs> even though, Again, short piece, I knew it very well, was so well prepared, but that's just something that's always stuck with me. But the moment was special. It was completely silent. And sometimes that silence can be really very powerful. And I think that if I had been any older, I would have felt so much more pressure in the moment, but somehow, you know, my 19 year old self, I can't remember if I was 19 or 20 by the time that happened, was just so happy to go with this and feeling the excitement of having this amazing honor and opportunity that I just did it. And what was really beautiful is, you know, many hundreds of miles away, my parents were listening to it on BBC World Service Radio. So they were able to hear it live at the same time as well. And I know that was very special for them also. And then at the end of it, you got to be in a lineup and be introduced to the Queen of England, which was quite special. What did you do besides curtsy properly? Not very much. She said, I played beautifully. And I said, thank you. It was, it was quite special, though, because at the Royal College of Music, we, we had the royals come. So I had an opportunity to meet Prince Charles and the Queen Mother. So we... You know, the Royal College of Music is called that, but we do have royal patronage and they do make visits to the school to see us. I love that story. That's such a great story because I can see you and I can feel you. And then, you know, knowing the reverence that the Queen of England can bring just by saying her name or just, you know, just what she is there. Just by being there. Yeah, it's 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 quite lovely. Oh, the whole thing. It's funny, just, we were cleaning out our basement not so long ago, and I found the letter that invited me to do this play. This was just a couple months ago, and I remember finding the letter and thinking, oh my goodness, look at that. I guess I kept it. 
because no emails in those days, right? So they had said they were going to try to call me in my hostel, which was a girl's hostel, and there was only one phone on the ground floor. So if you got a phone call, you got called on the intercom, and they would say, Dilshad, Billamoria, you have a phone call, and then you would have to run down the stairs, you know? <laughs> That's what it is. Oh, so I remember getting a phone call following that letter and being very excited by it all. It is so exciting. Congratulations. I love that. Thank you, Dilshad, for being in Porter Flute Pod today. We enjoyed hearing about your journey from Mumbai. It's such an honor to be your colleague. And I have to say, your flute playing and your piccolo playing are extraordinary. You can find out more about the Brevard Music Center at brevardmusic.org. That's B-R-E-V-A-R-D music.org. Join us next time on Porter Flute Pod. It's our popular performance therapy platform. I'm going to be discussing competitions, the repertoire, the research, and the rewards. You can find out more about me at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. And on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I'm Porterflute. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.